0: Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Cat, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Cat. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seeds that fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away, and others fell among the thorns. And the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then if you'll drop down to verse 18, Jesus is explaining to the disciples who didn't always catch what he was saying. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. Now God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The question is, why did you come today? And what difference is it going to make in your life? I want to speak to you on the subject, going to church doesn't do any good. Going to church doesn't do any good. What good does it do? What difference does it make? Jesus is here in His life and we only have about 30 days of His actual life on earth recorded in Scripture, so obviously what He is saying out of 33 years and three years of ministry and only 30 days recorded, what Jesus is saying in this passage is extremely important for us. This is a crisis day for Him. Opposition is growing. There's beginning to be pressure from all around Him the Pharisees are beginning to mount their attack against him, and Jesus is coming to them and gives them a parable. Jesus often spoke in parables, He spoke in stories. He took familiar surroundings. Probably he was watching a sower sowing his field while he was sharing the story. He is talking about what purpose the word has in our lives and the objective of preaching and teaching. There is a twofold objective, according to Luke chapter eight verse 15 the first objective of preaching and teaching is that people might be saved. Then according to Luke chapter 8, verse 15, the objective of saved people is to bear fruit. That when the Word of God is preached, when the Word of God is sown in the hearts and lives of men, that that sowing is supposed to bring people unto salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And once those people are saved, then they are to bear fruit. Jesus is talking about what's important and what really matters, and yet as I have examined Christianity and being a history minor in college, I kind of get into studying people and things and situations and and histories of churches and and denominations, and I kind of get into all of that, and and after studying it, being kind of a casual student of it, I've discovered that Christians have as many neurosis and problems and hang-ups. There aren't as many tranquilizers as lost people are. Now, being a Christian doesn't mean that you're immune from that, but there's some folks that ought to be doing a little better than they're doing. They come to church, they sit, and they go through the motions, but they don't walk in victory. There's not an overarching victory that although they are immersed in the same problems that a lost person might be immersed in, they're not responding any differently to the problems. You watch the average Christian respond to a situation and watch the average lost person, and you can't tell the difference between the two of them. I've determined that the difference is found in our reaction and in our response to the Word of God. Our victory is determined by how obedient we are to the Word of God. Now, why did you come today? Well, you came because your mom and dad made you, because they told you if you're going to live in this house and eat my food and sleep under my roof, you're going to be in church as long as you're here. Well, you came because you're expected to. Some of you came because this is the first Sunday, and you always come on first and third Sundays. And you won't be here next week because that's second and fourth. You know, if, if everybody who came on first and third came on the Sundays when the second and fourth crowd shows up, we couldn't hold everybody. We just kind of come. It's, it's our week to come. All we felt like we ought to. Well, you hadn't preached in two weeks. We wanted to see if you had anything to say. Why did you come this morning? What was the purpose in you being here? Did you come because you're just raised that way, because it's expected of you, because it's uh, good for you and the community for people to know that you go to church? Did you come because you had some new clothes to show off or a new suit to show off or a new uh, car to show off? Why did you come to church today? And what difference is it going to make? I would submit that for most people that visit the churches in America today, of all denominations... Even those of us who are part of a conservative evangelical denomination, I am convinced that most people who go to church today will go and it will make no difference in their lives tomorrow. It will be an isolated event that stands by itself and it won't make any difference in how they act and react in the days to come. Well, I believe the church ought to make a difference in our lives. I believe it ought to affect and permeate every area of our lives. Jesus has given a parable of the sower the seed and the soil. We usually call it the parable of the sower. It's not the parable of the sower. It's the parable of the soil. If you read that parable in its context, you will find that the sower is Jesus Christ. Now, you and I would admit that there's nothing wrong with the sower. I mean, he's a good sower. He knows how to sow. That's his occupation. He sows. Jesus Christ is a good sower. There's nothing wrong with the one who is sowing the seed. Jesus Christ. Would we agree this morning that there's nothing wrong with Jesus Christ? Do we? Is Jesus Christ a good sower? All right? He's sowing the seed. Mark says about this same parable that the sower went forth and sowed the Word. He emphatically tells us what the seed is the seed is the Word of God. Now, do we not all agree that there's nothing wrong with the seed with the Word of God? I mean, there's nothing wrong with the Word of God. From Genesis to maps to genuine leather on the back, it's God's Word. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the Word of God. You know, I believe the maps are even inspired. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure where I got that, but I just think they are. Uh, there's nothing wrong. It's a good word. When we read it, when we study it, when we sit under it, when we apply it, it has an effect on our lives, a positive effect on our lives. There's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with the seed. So where does the problem come? The soil. And the soil is my heart and your heart. You see, there's nothing wrong with you and I today that a good tilling up of our heart wouldn't help. There's nothing wrong with you and I today that a good opening ourselves up and allowing the sower to sow his seed and us not to try to conflict with him on how he does that wouldn't take care of. You see, the problem is, is we have tried to blame it on the preacher and on the teacher and on everybody else. We've tried to say, well, you know, it depends on who's preaching. It doesn't depend on who pre- who's preaching. The seed, still the seed, regardless of who's preaching. The sower, Jesus Christ, uses the Holy Spirit to sow that seed into our heart. There's nothing wrong with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with the seed. And so the problem comes in our soil. The problem comes in our heart. It is our response. I used to think when I was growing up, I grew up in a church It was dead as a hammer and dry as dust. I mean, it was dead. And I used to think, you know, if we had a better preacher, our church would grow. And I found out that they got a better preacher and the church's still not growing. I mean, it's not. It's still not growing. And he's 40 times better than the guy who was there before. Still not growing. Some of you think, boy, I tell you, I can't wait to promotion. Now, that's a small part in a Southern Baptist church, you understand. Most people in Southern Baptist churches, they sit down in a Sunday school class and say, I will not be moved. (laughs) But some of you are looking forward to promotion, saying, I'm going to get out of this class, and I'm going to go get me a good Sunday school teacher. And you go get a different Sunday school teacher and a good Sunday school teacher, and you still don't grow. You just think, well, if I just you know, could have a different church, maybe I'll just find a different church, and then I'll start growing. And you go to a different church, and you still don't grow. You know, when I was in Ada, when I was there for three years, and I, I, I sometimes felt like every great preacher in America came through Ada in those three years. Now, they got to want to go there to get there. You understand that. But, I mean, we had them all. We had John Bassanio, and we had Tom Eliff, and we had uh, Bill Tanner and Bill Hogue, and we had Ron Dunn and Manly Beasley and O.S. Hawkins. I mean, we just had a lineup. We'd just Every summer we would have a thing called Summer Celebration on Monday nights, and we'd bring in the biggest guns Southern Baptists got to offer. I mean, they came in with their magnums, and they, they were loaded for bear, sugar stick and all. They were ready to preach. I mean, it was the great American preach-off, kind of like Southern Baptist Convention is. Everybody gets up and preaches their one sermon that they've got. and Everybody ooze and aahs and nobody does anything about it. We had all those preachers in and You know, I'd sit there and on the platform and I'd, sit on the, and I'd get up and I'd look at some of our folks and I'd think, you know what, it didn't do those folks a lick of good to be here tonight. They still look mean and ugly. And you know, I believe in every church. There are people that could hear the greatest preachers since the time of Christ. The Apostle Paul could come stand behind the pulpit and they would walk out that door and say, ain't nobody changing my mind about anything. I mean, they come to church with a predetermined, preset plan that they will not be moved, that they will not respond. And I'm convinced that the best thing that person could do is quit going to church. Now, some of you this morning, I want to encourage you to not come to church anymore. You're saying, He's crazy. What's going wrong? Call a pulpit committee together. Get the deacons. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You get far enough away from God and and you get cold enough in your heart, you'll start coming looking for a fire. You sit here with a lukewarm heart and you won't do anything about it. But you get out there and you find out what it's like away from God's people and what it's like to not sit under the Word and you find out how cold you get and how dry you get and how stale you get, you'll come looking for a fire sooner or later. The best thing you can do for yourself is quit coming to church and try to live it on your own. Try to do it on your own. Try to get out there and make your decisions and settle your problems without having the Lord to depend on and the fellowship of God's people. Why do you think the writer of Hebrews said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? Why? Because of the deceitfulness of sin. Well, get out there and find out how deceitful sin is. I'm convinced that for a lot of people, it helped them to quit going to church because they'd finally get desperate enough to come to church for the right reasons. I don't think it does us any good to come to church for the wrong reasons. Now, I realize a low motive is better than no motive at all, but I don't think that coming to church for the wrong reasons does us much good. In fact, I think we deceive ourselves. We think, oh, if I could just get something else, if I could just get another preacher, if I could just get another teacher. In fact, if this preacher keeps preaching like this, if we could get another preacher. Not enough of you laughed on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that when I was in college. I took Greek in college. I took three years to take two years of Greek. I wanted to make sure I got it. And I remember Dr. Stevens, boy, Dr. Stevens just didn't know how to teach Greek. I mean, actually, I, I know he had three earned doctors, but he was stupid. He didn't know how to teach Greek. I mean, I could sit there in class and say, Dr. Stevens, you don't know how to teach Greek, because I'm not getting any of this. I don't comprehend one thing you're saying. In fact, I comprehended so little of it, I'm taking this class over again. The only problem with that was my roommate, who went to the same high school I did, we graduated about the same level in in graduating class as I did. We had grown up together. I knew him. He knew me. The only problem was he was sitting right next to me and he was making an A. I mean, he was blitzing through it. And then the guy in front of me was making an A. The guy next to me was making B's. He was barely missing an A. And the guy behind me was making B's. And here I am dying. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, the problem wasn't with Dr. Stevens, the problem was with me. The problem wasn't with the sower. The problem wasn't with Greek. The problem was with I wasn't receiving what was being taught me. You know, sometimes we're kind of like the rich man in hell in Luke chapter 16. And he goes to Father Abraham and says, Father Abraham, my brothers, go send Lazarus to my brothers and tell them that what's going to happen if they don't repent? Tell them that they don't need to go to hell. Father Abraham said, no, nope, not going to do that. Not going to send Lazarus. They've had the prophets and they've had Moses. Now, would you not agree that the prophets and Moses are pretty good preachers? I mean, their books have never gone out of print. The prophets and Moses are good preachers. He said, no, nope, they've had the prophets and they've had Moses. He said, but if you'd send Lazarus, if they saw somebody raised from the dead, now they'd, they'd get serious about God. And then the end of Luke chapter 16 and verse 31, he says, there is no way they will be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And by the response of most Christians in America today, saturated with the Word of God, bookstores on every corner, tapes that you can subscribe to, seminars that you can go to, by the response of most Christians, we don't act like we believe that God really raised Jesus from the dead. It hasn't made that kind of impact. It hasn't made that kind of change in our lives. And so I want you to see where you are this morning. One of four kinds of soil. The first soil is the stony soil or the stony heart. He talks about that and then he explains it in verse 19. You'd look again at verse 19. He talks about the fact that when he hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Now this is that little three-foot-wide path that the farmer would walk down and he would sow the seed on either side of him. It was a hard, beaten-down path He was one that he had trod over year after year after year. It was almost like concrete. You just about couldn't till that soil up. And as he was sowing the seed in the tilled up soil, he would drop some seed on this hard beaten down path, but nothing could happen with it because it fell on the ground. It didn't go in the ground. And with a lot of people, the Word of God falls on their hearts, but it doesn't go in their heart. It goes in that pounded down flesh. And we just kind of let the word just kind of lay there, and the seed falls, and the birds come and eat it up. I'm convinced that a lot of people lose the word before they ever get out the doors of the church. They come and they listen and they sit and they wait for the invitation. If it goes more than two verses, they start looking around, trying to figure out why we're going so long, and then they walk out the doors, and all they want to talk about is where we're going to go eat and what are we going to do this afternoon. My friend, it didn't do you any good to go to church. Because the word just fell on you, it didn't go in you. The stony ground. He says that does not understand it. That little word, understands, means to absorb. It's never been absorbed into the life. The word just kind of lays there, but it's never been absorbed. There's this, almost as if there's a sign over the life that says, please do not disturb. Now there are three reasons why I think people have stony hearts. First of all is Pride. First of all, it's pride. It is that I don't need any help. And the scripture says that God knows the proud afar off. Pride. I don't need any help. I don't need anybody to tell me anything. I know more than everybody else. And and a proud person will come to the word like this. Prove it. Prove it. They'll come to the word like this. I tell you, if that's the way it is, and God's going to have to do something to prove it to me, as if God owes us an explanation, or as if God, sovereign God, has somehow got to move heaven and earth to get our attention. Pride. The Scripture says God knows the proud way, way off. God reaches out to the proud like this. He holds them off. In fact, James says He opposes the proud. He fights the proud but he gives grace to the humble. If you don't want God to be at arms distance from you, then don't approach him with a prideful heart. The second reason why we don't let the word of God fall in our lives is because of fear. We're afraid God's going to ask us to do something we don't want to do. We're afraid we're going to have to change. We're afraid somebody's going to make fun of us. We're afraid we're going to lose our reputation. We're afraid of how it will affect our business. We're afraid people will call us a fanatic. I have found it easier to tone down on a fanatic than to breathe life into a corpse. Fear. We're just afraid. We're scared of what people are going to think about us. The third reason is sin. There's some area, there's some little area of our lives, some stronghold in our lives where we're babying it and we're petting it and we're holding on to it. And, and if we listen to the Word, we come to church knowing there's an area of our lives where we're in disobedience to God and God won't tell us anything until we do something about the last thing that He told us to do. So we come with pride, with fear, and with sin. And my friend, if you've come that way this morning, this is not my evaluation, this is not my explanation. This is from the Word of God. God says you're a fool. In fact, Proverbs, if you would just take a little stroll through Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, the fool despises wisdom. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 5 says, the fool hates instruction. Proverbs 27 21 says the fool is hard hearted, and Proverbs 23 9 says the fool won't listen. That's God's evaluation of somebody who will not listen, who despises wisdom, who hates instruction, and who is hard-hearted. And some of you will leave here this morning with a stony heart. And going to church didn't do you any good. Getting up this morning did not do you any good. Why? Because you wouldn't listen to what God was trying to say to you. The second person that he mentions is the person with the shallow heart. In verse 20, he explains the shallow heart. There's a thin layer of soil there. It's that, got that limestone rock underneath. In fact, Luke chapter 8 verse 6 says, this soil lacked moisture. Now in this soil, everything grows upward and it grows quickly. Because it's shallow soil, if you've ever planted anything and you didn't go down deep enough, you know that things will sprout up quickly, but then they'll die off because there's no root system to support it. The roots have not been able to go deep down into the ground, and the sun, persecution, comes up and burns it off. There's, all the growth is upward. Everything is reaching straight up, looking for life, but there's got to be life down in the soil as well as life on the surface. The picture there is as you reach up toward the Lord. You also need to be reaching within and growing from within. Now... the thing that you need to learn and and, and I ought to write down on this point on this particular part of the parable is that the sign of spiritual growth is fruit not foliage the sign of spiritual growth is fruit not foliage you can go out here And find some of these old pecan trees. And boy, they got leaves everywhere, but they're not producing pecans. They're not cost effective anymore. Why? Got a lot of leaves, got a lot of foliage, but they're not producing what they were made to produce. Shallow. Everything's upward, everything's growing out. You know, I've met some folks uh, that have a lot of foliage. You ever met them? They come to church and they got all their study courses taped to their arm. All their certificates on their back, every seminar that they've ever attended, everything they've ever done, every Bible study, every verse they've ever memorized is all taped all over them. So when they walk in church, they say, look at me, look at all my foliage. Folks, I'm going to tell you, you can take every study course that Southern Baptists can think up for the next 3,000 years and not bear fruit for God. The Pharisees were excellent in study course. You can get all the foliage you want to get. Graduate from every seminar, every seminary, every conference that you want to graduate from. I mean, get everybody in the world to say, this person is the most well-educated person that we've ever seen in the things of God, and you still won't produce fruit. God didn't say, by their foliage you will know them. He said, by their fruit, you will know them. Now, what's the fruit of a Christian? Well, one thing, the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. say, well, my gift's not evangelism. I didn't say that. I said, you're supposed to just spread your life. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. There are opportunities in our lives every day to just plant a seed of the gospel. But also the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, gentleness. And I've met a lot of folks who go to church every time the doors are open. I mean, they'll drive 100 miles to go to a seminar or to go to a conference. They'll buy every book on the table. They'll do everything. They'll get it all down. And they don't evidence one thing of the fruit of the Spirit of God. And then you meet some old boy. He doesn't know much. He just loves God and believes that he ought to be sweet and kind and gentle and loving. And I will tell you that I think that person is closer to the kingdom of God than the one that has all the certificates. You show me some people with certificates and seminars and everything else, and I'll show you some folks that are mean as the devil. They've educated their flesh. They've not taught their spirit. And when you have been taught by the Spirit of God, it does not produce foliage. It produces fruit. I don't have one of my degrees hanging on my wall. Not a one of them. I don't even have my license or my ordination hanging on my wall. You know why? That's foliage. doesn't have anything to do with what I'm doing today in my own personal walk with God. It doesn't mean anything. It's just foliage. It's just something I've done. It's not who I am as a person. The shallow heart produces foliage. Now, this is the heart that, boy, they just... A lot of times, this heart is clear. Clarified and characterized by the person who just loves to just get involved and get in on when things are happening, and they get excited over excitement. It's kind of like the lady who went to church, and every time she went to church, she'd stand up and say, Oh, Lord, fill me up. Oh, Lord, fill me up. Oh, Lord, fill me up. Finally, one deacon in the back said, Lord, don't do it. She's got a leak during the week. riding this roller coaster, going up and down and up and down, waiting for the next conference, waiting for the next Bible study, waiting for the next seminar, waiting for the next book by a certain author, waiting for the next mail out, waiting for this, waiting for that, always waiting, hoping so something else will get us up the mountain. My friend, that's not spiritual growth. That's spiritual spurts. Growth is steady and it is consistent. It doesn't depend on the circumstances. A shallow heart and a suffocating heart In our society, most people are looking for miracles. Well, I tell you what, if this morning somebody came out the back of this auditorium and came down here and said, I'm blind, I cannot see. And just under a sovereign work of the act of God, not because we breathed on anybody or got two staff members to stand behind us, but I popped them on the head but just a sovereign act of God, we call the deacons of the church down to pray, and we prayed and got up, and that person opened their eyes and said, I see television lights, I see TVs, I see trees, as men walking, I see all of that. I can't believe, I can see, I've never been able to see before. You know what you'd do? You would run out of this place and tell everybody you could. Wouldn't you? Now, come on, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd get on the phone, you'd call the kids, you'd call the grandkids, you'd call pagans. You'd call people you don't even like and say, Man, you will not believe what happened at church today. Somebody came down the front and got healed. They got their eyesight restored. Listen, folks, all a miracle is is God fixing what He made originally. That's all it is. You see, we've got a mentality in our society where we are caught up in the miracles, not the master. We're caught up in the blessings and not the blesser. Listen to me. Don't miss this. Jesus can heal you today with one word, but he had to die to save you. Compared to what it cost him to save you, healing talk is cheap talk. Hey, the devil's healed people but only Jesus can save a man. And it cost him his blood to do it. You see, if somebody came down and had their eyesight restored this morning, you'd walk out talking. But if some little nine-year-old boy, just in the simplicity of his heart, comes down here and prays to receive Christ, you know what we'll do? We'll walk out and say, anything happened to church today? Nah, just had some kid join this morning. Probably baptize him tonight. You know why? Because we've lost being impressed with the greatest miracle of all. And that's the miracle of a saved soul. Oh, we're looking for dog and pony shows. We're looking for everything to be pumped up. We're looking for programs. And, and we put the pressure on the staff. And we say, now, Danny, you've got to come up with a bigger Christmas program, a bigger Easter program than we've ever had before. We can't go backwards. We've got to get bigger. And so we've got to get more lights and more bells and more whistles and more things running around. And we've got to dress everybody up a little bit more. And we've got to do all this because it's got to be bigger than last year. Friend, that's the world. You say, no, that's not the world. we just got to get better for Jesus. No, that's the world. That's why the world makes sequels to all its movies. Keeps trying to build on them. Some things God may not want us to do every time we open the doors. Now, Brother Tony, you, know, you did this last summer, so that means you got to do three times more than this. And David, you got to do this. And Kevin, you got to do this. And youth ministers got to do that. And we lay all this agenda on somebody. And folks, you know what that is? That's looking for performance. That's looking for leaves that will sprout up, but it's not building any depth. I guarantee you, we can get a crowd here. And they'll come in by the dozens. All we got to do is bring in a dog and pony show, put up a tent get some bells and whistles and make some big announcements and have some guys dressed in clown suits and we can get a, we can get a crowd together. And the next week they won't come because we've tried to sell ourselves that the simplicity of the preaching of the Word of God and worshiping the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our might is no longer good enough in this society. My friends, the Word still works. The problem's not with the Word The problem's with the soil. The third heart that he mentions is the suffocating heart. Verse 22, he talks about the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Now, if you'll notice something about this soil, it is good ground and the soil is rich. And there's great potential here, but it is cluttered. This is cluttered soil. It's suffocated and the fertilizer and the work that's been done to try to make the grain grow. The nourishment is being tapped off and pulled out by the weeds. The weeds are taking the nourishment that was intended for the good grain. And this heart is cluttered and it's being damaged and the energy is being drained off by these weeds. I've put in a few yards in my lifetime and I can tell you this, you don't have to encourage weeds. I've gone out and watched a road crew cut a path into the middle of woods go down to where there's nothing but dirt. They'll go down and go down and go down, and then they'll scrape it off, and they'll bring it in, and they'll smooth it over, and they'll scrape it off, and they'll smooth it over, and they'll pack it down, and they'll pack it down, and when you walk by there, there is nothing there but Georgia clay. And they'll come in, and they'll lay hot asphalt on top of that. And doggone it, if you don't go by there a year later, and there's some grass growing up through that asphalt... Now, nobody went and threw seed on it. It just, I mean, you don't have to encourage it. Weeds look for your yard. I mean, you get out there and you see this little bald spot in your yard, so you're trying to cover it up, you plant some seeds, you sprig it, you sow it, you fertilize it, you do all that kind of stuff, and then you go out and cut your grass on Saturday, and it looks so good, and you're so proud because the neighbors are so impressed. And on Sunday morning, there's one weed. It's sticking up about this high right outside your front door so all your neighbors say, boy, that guy doesn't take very good care of his yard, does he? Why? Because you can encourage grass all you want to. You don't have to encourage weeds. They just come up on their own. And our hearts become cluttered and church becomes just another activity. And C.S. Lewis was right when he said, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. All that is not eternal is eternally out of date. You see, some die in ashes, Some die in flames. Most die inch by inch playing silly games. The deceitfulness of riches, the worries of this world, the cares of this world, we get caught up in it. My wife and I visited the largest church in Alabama a few years ago and uh, we sat down in the back. It's always interesting to sit where the preacher usually doesn't sit. You get to see what people do in different areas. You know, when you sit at the front, you don't see any of this. When you sit at the back, you get to notice all this kind of stuff. And I sat down and I noticed this nice little good American couple, typical American couple, had 1.4 children. And, uh, I noticed the kids were sitting there and they were being polite and the wife was taking notes and she was sitting there nodding her head with the preacher. And I noticed this guy, he had his Bible closed, but he had a piece of paper out on top of it and he was writing. I thought, well, that's interesting. This guy's taking notes. You know, looks like a real successful businessman. I could tell by the suit he had on he didn't, you know, buy it at the warehouse. And so, you know, I, I could tell this guy's pretty successful and I started noticing him taking those notes. I said, well, it's interesting. So I kind of leaned over to see what he was doing and he was writing his to-do list for work for the next week. You see, he came to church, got dressed up, put on his tie, walked to church with a Bible under his arm, like this. Good morning, brother so and so. Good morning, brother so and so. God bless you, brother so and so. Oh, good morning, brother so and so. Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's good to see you. Now I gotta get working on my job because Monday morning's gonna come quick. And of course, truth be known, the wife may have been sitting there saying, you know, if this preacher doesn't shut up, that roast is gonna be a burnt offering. And the kids were thinking, if this preacher doesn't shut up, Mommy and Daddy aren't going to let us go to the pool this afternoon. Or I'm going to miss this, or I'm going to miss that. I'll miss the first basket that Michael Jordan shoots today. You know what's happened? You've missed the point. Missed what it was all about. I mean, we've been singing about it all, all morning. Oh, 4,000 tongues to see, sing. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God and God alone, to God be the glory. Be still and know that I am God. What are we here for? To worship God. We can't do it because we come with so much junk strapped to us. It looks like we're carrying backpacks. We've got to figure out how we're going to pay the bills. We've got to figure out how we're going to do this. We've got to figure out how we're going to keep up with the Joneses. We've got to figure out how we're going to get ahead. We've got to figure out if we can do this and do that, and if we can get this business still worked, and if we're going to catch our plane, and if we're going to do all these things. And in the process, we totally missed God in the whole picture. Folks, I'm going to tell you, that's why Sunday is a day to worship. It's a day to lay aside all that stuff. And if you can't lay it aside on Sunday, you're going to go nuts because you can't carry that stress level all the time. The only thing you ought to deal with as church is what God shows you as sin in your life, and you deal with that. We come before God not with suffocating hearts, but we come before Him sold out. Mark Price is a guard for the Cleveland Cavaliers. This was his third year to play. Mark was one of our college students at Roswell Street, and I can remember... After he played in the Pan Am games, he came home and he was sharing about uh, playing in the Pan Am games where the United States won a gold medal. And Mark was sharing about that experience, and if you watch those games on television, you'll remember in the game with Venezuela, the United States was in danger of being beaten. And they brought in Mark Price off the bench, and very quickly he shot some baskets, hit a few free throws, and basically won the game for the United States team where they could go on and win the gold medal. Pretty impressive stuff, pretty heady stuff for a 19-year-old guy. Come home with a gold medal, to be voted ACC Freshman of the Year, to lead the ACC in scoring as a freshman, pretty heady stuff. But I'll never forget Mark sharing about his gold medal and how it sat on a bookshelf in his dorm room. And how the most important thing to him was not winning the gold medal. It was that on that Thursday night before, he had led his roommate, who was also a guard with Georgia Tech, Craig Neal, to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, you know what, I'd give up that gold medal to see Craig saved. That gold medal doesn't mean to me what Craig being saved means to me. And that's where the majority of believers have missed it. We think the gold medal is what's important. Mark signed his new contract last year, his agent was negotiating, they've got agents for everything now, his agent was negotiating that, and he came to him and said, Mark said, we got your new contract. He said, well, great, he said, what is it? And he just left all that because he doesn't like to deal with the money aspect of it. He said, well, it's $1,250,000. He said, it was three years, five years, what's that for? He said, no, that's $1,250,000 a year. Now, there's not many of us in this room that are making a $1,250,000 a year. If there are, the finance committee would like to meet you immediately after the service. But I can tell you this. I do know a young man who has not allowed his heart to be suffocated to the point where he missed the point. We play surrounded by guys who are millionaires who spend all their money in five years and then work second groceries for the rest of their lives because they didn't know how to spend it. I can show you a guy who lives in a modest home, takes care of his family, and gives a lot of money to the kingdom of God. Why? Because he's learned a lesson about not allowing your heart to be choked out by the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Then the last heart is a surrendered heart. Now, if you notice, three-fourths of the seed did not bear any fruit. Only this last bore fruit, 100-fold, 60-fold, some 30. This soil receives and hears and obeys. Three-fourths of it did not. And it says it bears fruit. It's multiplied. It's manifested. Now, look, if you would, at the comparison between the four soils. This soil is soft. It's cultivated. It's soft. It's not hard like the other soil. This soil, soil is deep. It's not like the stony soil. It's deep. It's been cultivated and tilled over. It is clean. It is not weed-infested. It's a surrendered heart. It's the heart that walks into church. It's the heart, heart that wakes up every day of its life and says, Lord, here I am. Use me. As Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. George Mueller, when asked the secret of his life, said, There was a day when I died. I utterly died. I died to George Mueller. I died to his opinions, his preferences, his taste, and his will. I died to the world, to its approval or censure. I died to the approval or blame even of my relatives and friends, the surrendered heart. Somebody made a statement one time, being critical of Christianity, that Christianity, in actuality, doesn't work. All that we say about Jesus and all that we say about the Holy Spirit and all that we say about living and all that we say about the abundant life and all that we say about the truth shall set you free and all that we say about the promises of God and all that we say about perfect love cast out fear and all that we bring up about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't work. And you know what? Looking at most Christians, they're right. But the problem's not with the sower. The problem's not with the word. It's not with the seed. The problem's with the believer who will not have a surrendered heart. I want to rephrase that. The problem is not that Christianity doesn't work. The problem is that Christianity has not been tried. I can tell you in 17 years of ministry that I can probably count on one hand the number of Christians that I've met who live their lives with a surrendered heart, who put no strings attached, who draw no lines, who build no fences to God, and say simply to the Lord, Lord, whatever you say, I will do. Wherever you lead, I will go. Whatever you want, you can have. Not my life, it's your life. Not my body, it's your body. Not my possessions, they're your possessions. Not my hands, not my feet, not my eyes, not my ears, not my tongue. It's all yours. All I have or ever hope to be, it's all yours. I can tell you that I've only met about a handful of people that have ever lived that way. But I want to tell you this. The ones that I've met that live that way have got something you and I don't have. And it's not the second blessing And it's not an experience. It's a full dose of all that Jesus said He would be for all who call Him to save them. So if you're missing that today, my friend, it's not the church's fault. It's not the preacher's fault. It's not your Sunday school teacher's fault. It's not the fault of the Word. The fault lies in your heart. And if this morning you walk out with any other kind of heart than a surrendered heart, my friend, going to church today didn't do you any good. In fact, you just hardened your heart a little more. The question is, not what kind of heart did you have when you came in. The question is, when you walk out, what's your heart condition? Have you tried Christianity lately? I can tell you this, it works for all who try it. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Kat. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.